Hey everyone, I'm Pastor Nick Tarter. I want to thank you for listening to the New Covenant Fellowship Sermon Podcast. We're a church in Bethany, Oklahoma, learning what it looks like to be in Jesus, to become like Jesus, and to do what Jesus did, so that our world can be saturated with the good news and the good works of Jesus. We invite you to join us on this journey, and we hope that this content will help you to grow to be the person God created you to be. You know, the word call is often used in church life, in church and Christian culture. I'm called to do this. So-and-so's called to the mission field. And the New Testament speaks of a heavenly call, a holy calling, a high calling. So the word calling is an interesting word that demonstrates that somebody or something is called, appointed, and anointed for some specific task. Okay? Now, the problem with the word call is that <clears throat> if it signifies that someone is called, that must mean there's someone else who isn't called. Okay? And uh, I can remember talking with people <clears throat> through the years and saying, uh, well, God hasn't called me to do anything. Okay? And uh, I can remember, most of you know that I, I taught for a number of years in uh, a Bible college, and uh, I remember having a class called uh, uh, about pastoring. And I started the class. We had probably about 20-some young pastors in the class. And this is actually their textbook. And uh, so I, <clears throat> I wanted to uh, let them know what they're called for based on what I had picked up from various people through the church through the years. Okay, this is the definition of a pastor by some people. Y'all know some people? You've heard them talk about it. Well, there are some people that do this or do that. So, so this is a some people. Quote, a pastor is someone highly skilled in running a church in all areas. He is a gifted public speaker, teacher of all ages, merciful, visitor of the sick <clears throat> and disabled, accountant, plumber, janitor, theologian, marriage counselor, knows everything about God, locates any scripture at a glance, has a model prayer life, rescues straying teenagers, bails people out of jail, often with his own money, <laughs> raises no significant personal problems because of, he has no significant personal problems because of God's special anointing. He has a wife that plays the piano, teaches children, has a gift of hospitality. He must have knowledge in all facts of business administration. Finances, board leadership, crisis management, diplomatic skills for disputes that happen in every bit of human existence. He must not allow his own emotions to taint his opinions. He must never show anger. Always be in the heart of God's will personally. Never fail to discern the true feelings of hurt and insecurity in others and always have the right words to say at the right time. He must be willing to work 24 hours a day with little time off at a salary acceptable to the congregation. And then I added on, if this is your definition, this course is for you. <laughs> okay. So sometimes when we think of call, the pastor's call, I, I have really, and I'm not referring to anybody here, uh, had people say, you know, I don't have to pray. That's the pastor. We pay the pastor to do that. I don't have to pray for this. I don't have to go visit so-and-so that's sick. That's the pastor's job. We pay him plenty. 
Okay. Anybody ever heard that? Yeah. Okay. It's uh, one of those things that's around and uh, often, often repeated by some people. Okay. So, <clears throat> let me read to you uh, Ephesians 4. This is interesting because uh, I don't know how Dwight could sit at the piano up here and read my notes back there, but uh, he, he quoted several of the same scriptures and said some of the same things that I'm fixing to say. <clears throat> okay, hopefully that's a sign of unity. All right, Ephesians 4. Yeah, Ephesians 4, and I'm going to break in on the middle of a thought. Ephesians 4.10, he who descended, uh, the he here is Christ, and because of time I can't read the, everything. So, he who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. It was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors and teachers. Now those are, you probably heard teachings and sermons on those before. We call those the fivefold ministry, various giftings, all of which have a particular job and function in the body of Christ. Okay, so he has all these special gifts and spe they are special callings. And what are they for? Well, it begins to tell us in verse 12, to prepare God's people for works of service. Mm -hmm. To prepare God's people. For works, so that the body of Christ may be built up until we reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. I can't help but say this this word unity, boy, is that ever a misused word today? Yeah. You hear somebody on TV, political. Politically talking, you know, I'll just, I want to vote for somebody for president that will bring us all into unity. I hear that and I go, are you kidding? <laughs> Do they even know what unity means? You know, how about uni uh, unity of abortion? Everybody have the same idea about that? Uh, how about unity of marriage? Everybody have the same definition on that? Okay. Uh, I don't think so. The unity that this is talking about is unity of the spirit okay and whenever god's unity is being impressed upon us that we be in union somebody's going to have to give up their opinion <laughs> okay so uh <clears throat> we won't go into that later okay so but christ brings us into unity and that was when we heard sang the song one spirit one body on and on that's a sample of the type of unity. But listen to this. The purpose of these fivefold ministry type people are to prepare God's people for works of service. In other words, if you read it a little further, you find out that the, their job description is to work themselves out of a job. Okay? By imparting who they are and what they do and their gifting to others. So that we all have a calling. Okay? So... There is a myth in the church, and that's the myth of the uncalled, all right? There is no uncalled believers. When you recognize uh, Jesus said, go out in the world and preach the gospel, and he said, didn't say make converts, he said make disciples of nations, and they were to teach, all right? 
that's a job. And if we are the discipled, then we have a job to learn. Amen? So nobody's uncalled. We are all called. We may have gifts differing, but we have responsibilities. We have calls. Okay, I'm going to go on here a few more verses. Verse 14, uh, then we will no longer be infants. That's what? What's the then? If we are allowed to be ministered to, served, taught, trained in these areas of gifting. All right, then we will no longer be infants tossed to and fro by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men and their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is, Christ. From him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. So the church is referred to as the body of Christ. We think of a body, a human body. You know, I've got arms, I've got eyes, my eyes don't hear too good. My ears, my ears never could see anything, okay? Uh, but they do a special duty, their part. Eyes see, ears hear. Feet are for walking. If the body, if those parts are not functioning, the body is not doing what it's supposed to do. So it is with the body of Christ. We have gifts differing. We may be like a jigsaw puzzle, but when the puzzle's put together, it's going to look like Jesus, all right? Okay, so when we think about <clears throat> the body coming into unity, when we think about the calling, and I'm going to ask you some questions today. You don't have to answer them out loud, but I want you to talk to God about it. What is your calling? What are you called to do? What are you called to be? We have gifts differing, so you're not called to be exactly like somebody who you think you'd like to be like, all right? I used to think that I wanted to be like Billy Graham. I don't know any young preacher that didn't have that thought at one time. I want to grow up, I want to be like Billy Graham. Well, yeah, that didn't happen. So that was a wrong vision, okay? Some of you have had the same types of things. The Great Commission in the church, as I said a minute ago, doesn't make converts. It's designed to make disciples and that they be well taught. Okay. So we have a calling. Now once I understand this calling, I can no longer accept the notion that biblical illiteracy is acceptable. Okay? We're called to know God's word because part of the calling was as people are taught that they would respond and obey the words of Christ. Okay? So... Knowing that I have a calling does not mean that I've got Jesus and I don't need the church. Right? There are some people out there, you probably run across them, maybe you used to be one of them. You know, well, I've got Jesus, I don't need the church. Okay? Well, <clears throat> we do. You know, that's where, that's just like a, <clears throat> a big mixing bowl. Did you ever think about that? The church, a big mixing bowl. And we all, you know, have our carnal carnality stirred up. And we all learn how to love, whether we like it or not. All right? I think God planned it that way. 
You know, having relationships, right relationships, is part of the calling of God to grow in love, all right? Another thing that I have heard through the years is, I've got Jesus, I don't need this Holy Spirit stuff, okay? I heard uh, uh, someone say one time, well, I got the Holy Spirit already, but I want the Holy Ghost. Yeah. You know, that's a matter of right doctrine, you know. Those are the same things, you know. So, uh, yeah, the Holy Spirit, third member of the Trinity, he is God, all right? Now, it's the work of the Holy Spirit that initiates your salvation process. It's the Holy Spirit that begins to speak to you and draw you and begin to teach you and show you that you need a savior and you got a sin problem. All right? That is the, how the Holy Spirit starts the process. But, <clears throat> so understand this. The Holy Spirit is the primary manifestation of the Trinity with us. All right? The Holy Spirit is here. Not just because he's standing here or standing here. Actually, you brought him in with you, all right? So he's here, and when there's a whole bunch of us, you know, we have a collective representation of the Holy Spirit, we really know and understand, wow, the Spirit of God is here, and we know that different levels from time to time. Okay, so you might say there are different levels in our relationship with the Holy Spirit. Certainly the Holy Spirit calls us, he begins to persuade us that we are in sin, need a Savior. And then gradually as you begin to say yes and respond, and you may look back now and realize that that's what you were doing, little by little allowing him to draw you closer to Christ, closer to God, closer to God, and be born again. And he breathed on you. And when Jesus came back from the grave, and he's talking to the disciples in one of those meetings in the upper room. It says, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. I think that was the point of the salvation experience, born-again experience of the disciples. Can you imagine? He breathed on them. A lot of things in Scripture about God breathing. You know, the word ruach, Hebrew word, means spirit or breath or wind. When, in a creation story, God picked up a handful of dust or whatever and breathed, in it, and man became a living soul. So the Holy Spirit is the life giver. When you were walking in death and walking in darkness, the Holy Spirit grabbed you and breathed on you so that you could have life as God defined it and not this world. Amen? Okay. Now, also, Jesus talked to the disciples not only about receive the Holy Spirit in the now and breathed on them, but he said, when Pentecost comes, the gift of the Father will come. And he called, he called the, what we call now the baptism of the Holy Spirit, he called it the promise of the Father, the gift of the Father. Now, Here's where we get mixed up sometimes. People say, well, they already had the Holy Spirit. That's right. Now, that was for a born-again experience. But 
Pentecost largely was an anointing for service for most, for the disciples. Now, there were some people when the Spirit fell, fell that they weren't believers, so it was their salvation experience. For others, it was a call to service. So what that says to me is there are different levels or understandings or depths of the Spirit of God that we, that we go through. You remember the old song, We Are Climbing Jacob's Ladder. Every rung goes higher and higher. You go up a ladder, you get higher and higher. It's like the Spirit of God from time to time sends us a little higher, draws us a little closer, gives us a little deeper understanding of God than we had before. Maybe a different gift that we've never had before. Maybe we've, maybe we've prayed for sick, sick people and it didn't seem to happen, but then all of a sudden it seemed like God elevated us and now more people that I pray for get, get healed. Okay, might have that experience. Or it's easier to pray. Or you feel the presence of God more. It feels like your prayer go, goes deeper. Okay, the Holy Spirit wants to come and come and come into us, for us, with us, in us. So there's a deeper level that God wants to call all of us to, to service. But it's still the same spirit, right? Still the same one that the Father sent. So we find out that the Holy Spirit was in Jesus not only to work miracles, not only to cast out demons, not only to heal, and that same Spirit even raised him from the dead. Now we find out that that same Spirit is in us. You ever think about that? The same Spirit that came in and raised Jesus out of the grave that spirit is in you. Wow. Do you think he could do more than he's done already in your life to you and through you? I think that'd be so of all of us. Here's some of the things I think the Holy Spirit does to us, through us, and for us. And I like a saying I heard somebody say one time, God will give to you whatever he can get through you. All right? Think about that. So here's some things, two or three things I want to talk about, about what the Holy Spirit does while living out our days here on planet Earth, all right? Number one, he empowers us. That's a big word. God empowers us. Remember the illustration I just gave where he breathed on the dust of the earth and man became a living soul. Wow, that's some power. <laughs> How you change dirt into a person, all right? But God did it. He breathed. So it's letting us know that the Holy Spirit was involved in creation, all right? Way back then, he was involved in creation. And guess what? The same Spirit and the breath of God gives us new life in Christ. And... I love that because when I'm down, when I'm depressed or feeling low or feel like I'm under the, the claw of darkness, the Holy Spirit can make me alive more. I love that. Don't you love it when God gives you a nice new dose of life Amen. and you feel better? 
Okay. All right. So the power, a few, few words on power. Jesus went after his baptism to go out into the wilderness to be tempted by the evil one. He passed all the tests. And then Luke tells us that he returned in the power of the Spirit. Okay? Now, it didn't say <clears throat> that he went out there in the power of the Spirit. Maybe he did. It just doesn't say that. But what that leads me to believe is that power increases as we grow spiritually and don't fall into the trap of every temptation that comes along. Okay? Power increases spirituality in us. All right? So, <clears throat> the word... Greek word dunamis is power, from which we get the word dynamite, all right? We have power. He said, Jesus said, you will have power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Now, they had had the power before, the disciples, because he laid hands on them and sent them out. But this time, it was different because now, not only are they, is the Holy Spirit flowing through a new vessel, but it's here to stay, all right? So the power of God, have you ever thought about this? The power of God to heal other people is in you. Now some people may say, I don't have that gift. Well, the power of God is in you. And maybe it isn't manifesting because you aren't trying it out. Maybe you're not asking. Maybe you're not knocking. Maybe you're not seeking. All right? I'm going to get to that in a minute. Okay. Holy Spirit brings power through gifts of the Spirit. First uh, Corinthians 12. Holy Spirit gives supernatural knowledge and wisdom at times. Sometimes he gives miracles, healings, and power to heal others. We are called to receive his power. Remember, this is about calling. You are called to receive power. So we're going to pray that God give us power here. Not that you don't already have it, but activate it, Lord. Activate us. Activate our faith that we see the power of God. All right? Okay. Another thing the power is for is the Holy Spirit empowers you to pray. All right? Intercessory prayer. Okay, this is, intercessory's prayer has been something I, I have loved ever since I've been a believer. Uh, something the Lord spoke to me many years ago was, pray the news. Okay? So, I took that to mean, I got to watch the news a little bit, kind of read up on stuff, current events, so I can pray what I believe God wants the outcome to be. Okay, let me say that to you. I encourage you to do that. Pray the news. You see what's going on? What do you think God wants to do in the midst of that? Pray it. And ask the Holy Spirit to guide you. He gives us grace and knowledge and wisdom to pray according to the will of God. How many of you know you needed to pray but you didn't know, know how or what for? Okay. He's given us a prayer language. That is God's way of praying through me. He uses my mind, my heart, my lips, but the content is from God, all right? 
I have seen so many times through the years in praying for the news, seeing something on television, something in a book I read about a problem or somebody's in trouble or something, and feeling, you know, okay, God, I need to pray. How do I pray? So I pray. You know, the next thing, a few days later, I hear that it was undone. Came out good. All right? That's praying the news. All right? I would encourage you to try that and get good at it. All right, so he empowers prayer when you don't know how or what to pray for. Okay? Now, I'm going to talk about another thing the Holy Spirit does and wants to do more of in us, and that is purify. As never before in the last month, I have heard, as I was praying, the word purify or purification. Okay? I don't remember using that word a lot. I understood what it meant, but God, what part of the Spirit's job in you is to purify you, okay? Now, he cleanses us not only for, from present sin, but he also cleanses us from the woundings that earlier sin has left us with. He heals us from the wounds that others have afflicted you with. All right? Sin leaves us impure. Now, let me give you an example when I think of impurity. For one thing, if you take water that's affected with bacteria and all kinds of impurities and you boil it, it's a way of purifying it, getting rid of the impurities. Another way, if ever any of you took a science class or a chemistry class where you had to purify water by distillation, you get some water, it's got all kinds of dirt and junk in it, and you boil it until it turns into a steam. And then you make it back into a liquid again by, by, becomes a steam because of Evaporation then turns back into water because of condensation. And when it comes back into water again, it's pure H2O, not H2O with a bunch of disease and junk and toxic metals and everything else. You know, you can buy distilled water at the store, okay? That supposedly is pure H2O. Or you can buy other kinds of water, which is H2O, but they add a bunch of stuff into it. Okay, it doesn't mean that it's poison, it just means that it's not distilled, all right? Distilling is the ultimate purification, all right? God is taking me, faults, warts, and all, wrong thinking, bad attitudes, following the wrong people, and by the power of the Holy Spirit, begins to rev all that stuff up, and gradually... Burn it off, okay? So that what's left from us from one trial to another (laughs) is more and more of me becoming back into the image of Christ. That's a calling. You're called to be purified. Think about it. God wants to get all that junk that's bugging you on the inside. So, oops. So purification is a process of getting getting rid of infection 
infectious sin, but also freedom from things like wrong doctrine. You know a lot of people, even believers, need to get delivered from their wrong doctrine, right? They may have some right doctrine, may have enough right doctrine to get saved, but they got a lot of wrong doctrine if they want to go on very far, okay? That's why we need purification. Purification boils out the wrong doctrine, but that means we've got to be exposed to right doctrine, okay? So we need study. We need relationships. We need the church because we need other people to compare notes with, right? You ever done that? You have something, God's doing something in your life, but you don't, don't know what it is. You don't understand it. So you talk to somebody about it, all right? We have prayer partners. We have small groups. We have uh, discipling relationships that we can talk to. And God interacts, and gradually we can learn that way. So the church, we, all of us, have probably picked up some doctrines or wrong information about God through the years, but now we need to learn how to worship God in spirit and in truth. Worshiping God in truth means that you have the right information about God. Okay, You wouldn't worship the gods. <laughs> okay, That would be wrong information. Right? We need to grow in our right information. That's part of the work of the Holy Spirit on the inside. And that would require me to become a student of God's Word, to have relationships with people, and preferably some people who are older in the Lord than I am, so that I can learn. Okay, there's plenty of deception and darkness out there. But it's only His Word that'll set you free. Right doctrine is important. We are to worship God in spirit and in truth. We need right understanding. We need spiritual purity. You know, every time I think that God has uncovered all of the impurity that I have on the inside, and I'm feeling pretty good, all of a sudden he surprises me by peeling back another layer. Like somebody used like, like the onion, you know, you peel it and then you peel it and you just keep on going. All right, there's stuff on the inside. You know, <clears throat> I've heard people say, you know, well, I, I studied sin and I quit doing it, so I don't have a sin problem anymore. <laughs> I, I have heard people say that. We don't know the depths of sin. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, sin is some heavy stuff. What it does to you, what it deprives you of in your spiritual walk, what, it, what an obstacle it is. And sometimes we don't even, we aren't even conscious that we're doing it. I know that we have all gotten rid of some pride through a walk, but I don't know if it's 10% or 80%. I don't know that about me either. So, but we're told to walk in humility. We're told to confess our sins to God. As we do, we are trusting the Holy Spirit to show us things that we don't particularly understand or know about ourselves, but he will. Okay, next thing. The Holy Spirit reveals. He is the revelator. Did you ever think about this? The Holy Spirit is the best interpreter of Scripture. Yeah. Yeah. Now, I've got all kinds of commentaries at home. 
and uh, not all of them agree. <laughs> but I've never known the Holy Spirit to contradict himself. Okay. One of my, here's a, <clears throat> two of my, I'll give you two of my most favorite Bible verses here. You didn't get that. Two of my most favorite, okay. One of them is uh, Deuteronomy 29, 29, which says, Secret things belong to God, but things revealed belong to us. Isn't that a neat verse? Secret things belong to God, but things revealed belong to us. Kind of makes me think that when God reveals something to you, Bible has some responsibility to do it. Okay? When God, that's Deuteronomy 29, 29. Now listen to this. God is self-revealing. God chooses to reveal himself when he feels it's time. Have you ever prayed for something and you just knew that God's answer was, not now? Not now for you. You grow a little bit more. You know, I, I never knew a little kid that didn't want a, a, a gun for Christmas when he was like five years old or something like that. Well, I'm sorry, you're not ready. <laughs> All right. God prepares us for things, but there are some things about God that are secret. But he says, I will reveal them in time. Now, here's another Another one of my most favorite Bible verses, Proverbs 25, 2. The glory of God is to conceal a thing, but the glory of kings is to search it out. I love that verse. Proverbs 25, 2. Think about this. The glory of God is to conceal a thing. What do you think about that? God likes to hide stuff. You know what God's favorite game, game is? Hide and seek, right? <laughs> I'll take it, uh, time to tell. I'm gonna take time to tell a story. I don't think I've ever told this from a pulpit. My oldest son, when he was about three or four, I thought I would teach him how to play hide and seek. And uh, maybe you can remember times that you did that with some of your children. Okay, so I'm teaching him how to how to play, and uh, you know, he could count to about. I can remember he could count to about five or six, so we had to make it a quick game because he couldn't count to ten. Okay? All right, so I said, now, you stand behind the door here, and I'll hide, and then I'll holler, find me, and then you start looking. So he got there, and as soon as I turned around, he turned around. No, no, that's not the way. You have to give me time to hide. So I was going to hide in the closet, which was like the distance of here to this table from where we were. So I went over in the closet and I said, it's time, find me. So he starts, and he goes, takes off in the other end of the house. <laughs> no. You know, couldn't he have reasoned that I didn't have time to go to the other? No. So anyway, we're on and on, and he's, he's, uh, he's looking around. Well, all of a sudden, he gives up and he starts crying. And so, <laughs> so I said, here I am, like that, and he's all better now, okay? You ever have God do that? Seek me. And so you look, and you look, and you look, and you're calling out, and he's not saying anything, but then all of a sudden, right at the time when you need it the most, he comes out, here I am, okay? So 
God loves to play hide and seek, but he loves to reveal things. God loves to reveal new wisdom, new knowledge. Guys, have you ever wanted to repair something? You couldn't quite do it, and all of a sudden you just knew God showed you how to do it. I've had that happen several times. But you've got to want him to reveal himself. All right? Lots of things that I've gone through that when I was in the midst of it, like seeking, I didn't understand. Now I understand. All right? That just takes time. So, it is the glory of God to conceal a thing. But the glory of kings is to search it out. Notice that searching is our responsibility. I didn't say God's just going to tell you everything you want to know whenever you ask. He's going to tell you what he wants you to know when you're ready. But you know how you get ready? Start getting ready. Search. Okay. So, think about this. How many things right now do you want to know, but they're still secret, but you want God to reveal Think about it. I don't have an answer for that. But I can tell you that I love it when God reveals something new to me. But I want want him to look and say, he's seeking, he's asking, he's knocking. I'm going to open some doors for him. Okay? It's good for all of us. God knows the end of a thing from the beginning. Well, that's hard to comprehend, isn't it? God knows the end of a thing. That's scripture. From the beginning. He knows my need before I knew I had one. Okay? Something I know I've said from here. I was going through some struggles some years ago and needy about some things. Praying. And I just opened up the Genesis and I found a scripture that when it hit my mind it went like this. I knew when I walked with Adam in the cool of the day that you would come and have this need now and I have already made provision for you. God knows what you're going through now. He already knew about this place in your life that you were coming to. He already has the fulfillment of your need. But you must let him give it to you. Okay? All right. He knows my need before I know I need one. He can give you understanding of the scripture that you feel stuck on right now. And he has the interpretation of the dreams that you just can't wondering about. Can't keep from wondering about. God has things. Some of them are secret things, but he wants to reveal himself. He guides and directs you. Through new desires. God gives you fresh vision. To seek after. But he calls it walking in the spirit. Do you want to know more stuff? You're called to learn. And know more stuff. So. Are you called to study? Are you called to be a disciple? Yeah. I can't say I'm not called. I just depend on the leadership to. Know all these things and tell me. No, I think God wants me to dig some stuff out on my own. What a thrill it is when God shows me something. Okay? We are called to receive 
what he's given out, right? So part of your calling is to receive stuff from God. Isn't that neat? Sounds so simple, but it's so true. There's many more works of the Holy Spirit that we could mention, uh, but I'd love to see us just get real good at these. The main thing to realize out of this is for it to happen, you've got to want it to happen. God loves us, loves for us to seek him. That game of hide and go seek wouldn't have been much fun if he just stood there and said, I'm not going to seek you. You know, well, game's over. <laughs> wouldn't, have been, wouldn't have been much of a game. Scripture says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst. There's an old story passed down through the centuries about the ancient Greek philosopher Socrates, who was main calling he felt in life was to teach the youth of Athens, which also got him executed. But he was walking down a street one day in a little stream of water. Came across the street and he'd have to get into the water, which was about waist deep, to get to the other side of the road. Well, just as he was getting wet and getting into the stream, a young man came up to him and said, Oh, I want to learn philosophy. Teach me philosophy. I want to learn. Socrates just looked at him and went right on. <laughs> and the guy comes back and says, I want to learn more. Teach me. I want to sit at your feet. Teach me. And Socrates took him by the top of the head and put him underwater. <laughs> and, he, <laughs> and the guy's under there going, ah, like this. <laughs> and then he brings him out <clears throat> and he says, uh, what do you feel when you're under there? <laughs> and uh, then he says, Socrates says, when you want me to teach you as much as you wanted air when you're almost drowning, I'll know it and I'll teach you. <laughs> so think about that. How much do you want God to teach you? How, how much further do you want to go on this Christian road that we're on, on this walk in the Spirit? How much more do you want to be like Jesus? How much more do you want God to renew your mind? Are we to be saved and sanctified, or like one guy said, saved and satisfied? I don't want to be just saved and satisfied. Blessed are those that hunger. Ask, seek, and knock. The idea from the Ephesians that we read just a few minutes ago was to no longer be infants, but to walk in the Spirit, to be grown up, to be the body of Christ that not only imitates Jesus and becomes like Jesus in this area, but in all the ways that God wants us to be. You know, one of the ways, one of the pictures of the body of Christ is an army. Not just, a, not just the body functioning, everybody knowing their parts, but once we begin to know our parts, what's God going to call us to do? Okay? So, Matthew 7 talks about asking all who ask, Receive, all who seek will find, all who knock, it shall be open to them. 
and seek the first seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Let that be at the top of the list of my desires. Because the Holy Spirit, that's part of his job. He wants me to no longer be a babe. Right? Like somebody said, you know, when I was a child, it was okay to be a child. When I was 20, it wasn't okay to be a child anymore. You know, we don't want to take 40 years to grow up to be 20. Right? Okay, so my question to all of us today is, uh, what's your calling? Okay? It's not just to rely on somebody else to do all uh, growth exercises for you, for me. There is responsibility on my head to walk in the Spirit, to learn of Him, to allow Him, to let Him reveal to me what's different or about uh, what needs to be changed about me. What is my position? What does God want me to do? And when people say, God never speaks to me, well, maybe you haven't really listened. Maybe you haven't walked in all the light that you have. In his light, you will see more light. Therefore, walk in the spirit. Walk in the light. Walk in all the ways you know how to act, behave, and believe and trust God. And he'll show you more. Amen. You've been listening to the New Covenant Fellowship Sermon Podcast. If God spoke to you or if you'd like us to pray for you, you can email Pastor Nick directly at nick at newcovenantokc.org. If you'd like more information about our church, you may visit us on the web at newcovenantokc.org. We can't wait to hear from you.